those of you that are new, my name is Justin Jordan, the lead minister here at Real Life, and uh, thankful that you are here on this special day, Mother's Day. We are in the midst of a marriage series, and before I get into that, I just want to recognize that today is a special day for moms. Uh, the reality of it is it's also a very difficult day for many of you today, because maybe you've lost a loved one, and this is your first Mother's Day where that loved one is no longer here. For some of you, um, you are estranged from your mom or from your daughter or your son, and that makes it difficult. For some of you, you want to be a mom, and uh, you just aren't a mom, and you want to be a mom. And I just want to recognize that you are not alone this morning, that Jesus is with you, that we are with you, and I just want to recognize that uh, we love you, and we recognize the pain that you're navigating right here, right now. As we continue in this sermon series of Tighten the Knot, we've been talking about uh, the reality of us as married couples. Uh, are we pursuing Jesus with everything that we have? And is Jesus the foundation of our relationship? And it's really this, this graphic we keep coming back to every single week when it comes to the husband and wife relationship and everything that we do and the habits that we create in our marriage, is it putting Jesus at the center? And so we've been asking that question. We've been dealing with things that cause oftentimes uh, the, night, the knot not to get tightened, not to get strengthened. And we've been talking about some of those habits. Habit one, number one, we talked about what does it look like each day to have a Jesus-centered, significant conversation daily. What I would call it is a check-in, a check-in time with your spouse. How are you doing today? What is Jesus saying to you? Would you read in your quiet time? What's going on in your mind, in your heart? And, and learning how to be transparent and vulnerable with one another with what's really going on inside of you. Number two, we talked about what does it look like each day to actually spend time praying together? Um, and what does it look like for you to set the tone in your marriage in the morning to come together and to seek the Lord together? Habit number three, having regular date nights uh, to build godly intimacy. Uh, intimacy doesn't start uh, in the bedroom. It actually starts praying together, spending time together, and actually pursuing one another in the midst of life's difficulties, the mountaintops, the valleys, just like we got done singing. And then last week, we talked about the good old financial plan. Uh, how's that going when it comes to talking about finances? What does it look like to put Jesus at the center of your finances when it comes to give, live, and save? And for some of you that are here this morning, you might be saying, well, I'm single, none of this applies. Actually, it does apply to you because us married couples need your godly wisdom to speak into our lives when we have questions, when we have doubts, when we have wrestlings. It's so important for every single person to understand what the word of God says about marriage. And how do you actually build the body together in regards to the topic of, of marriage? And so this week we're going to talk about something that I think encompasses every single aspect of these topics. Um, and this is what I know as we've been talking about this first week. I've been kind of using this illustration of how do we tighten the knot. And um, Zach DeCrieff did an amazing job tightening the knot. Uh, the first week, uh, he did better than Rudy first hour, but that's okay. Like, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but this is what I've noticed um, about tightening the knot when it comes to the topic we're talking about today is the topic of, of pride. Everybody say pride this morning. Pride. You know, when it comes to pride, this is what I've noticed is that pride is one of those things that as soon as we move into a prideful state, there's just something within us when our our, our own hearts move into a place of pride. 
oftentimes then my spouse's heart moves into a place of pride because we are prideful people. Would you agree with that this morning? How often have you guys been irritated by an action or a response and you instantaneously become prideful in your heart because you see the pride in the other person's heart, right? It becomes a pride competition is what it becomes. So the reality of it is, is, is when you recognize or are frustrated by pride and then the other person is motivated by pride and you move into a pride competition, all of a sudden the knot starts to unravel. You experience that communication? Like you're doing good and then you have a bad day and then another bad day and it's like we've been fighting for a week, been fighting for a month and then a month turns into a year Zach, you did a really good job on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all relate to this, and I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, It is pride that has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and, unf- and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people, but pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God as well. How do we solve the problem of pride? And if you're here this morning and your relationship is struggling, would you be willing to look at your heart and maybe pride is the thing that needs to get addressed? If you got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. It's one of the most convicting passages in my life. And really is the solution to looking at pride in my own life. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? They make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Verse 7 uses the word that he took the position of a slave. The Greek word is doulos. It means a slave, a bondman, a man of servile condition, one who gives himself up to another's will, those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. It's a devotion to one another, to the disregard of one's own interests. If you are a follower of Christ, the fruit that you are called to live out is a fruit of, of service, of being a slave. 
Verse 8, he uses the word humbled. He humbled himself. And earlier uh, in verse 2 and 3, I believe he uses the word, or, yeah, verse 3, don't be selfish, don't try and impress others. Be humble. Tapinao is the word. It's to make low, to bring low, to reduce to a plane, to bring into a humble condition, to reduce to meaner circumstances, to lower, to depress. He goes on to say, Paul says in verse 9, Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. In the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you are wrestling with pride, if you are wrestling with selfishness, Jesus is the model for how you defeat pride and selfishness. You are called to take on the life that Jesus called us to live, to walk as he walked, is what Paul says later on in the New Testament. And if we walk as he walked, we are called to be people who are servants. And this plays out in every relational sphere that we as Christians walk out. First, in our relationship with Jesus, we call to serve him. Why? Because he served you. He died for you on the cross for the debt that you owe, the pain and the sin that you cause in relation to God. Jesus humbled himself in the midst of, he was absolutely warranted to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to stay on his throne, but he chose to humble himself, death on a cross. And so our posture as believers is we become then servants unto him. In regards to where we work, we are called to walk out a posture of humility of being a servant. Yes, you have a crummy boss. You are called to serve your crummy boss. Why? Because as you serve him, you are serving him unto Jesus. Your neighbors, the neighbors who continue to not treat their lawn with the dandelions that are spreading into your lawn. It's that time of year. You are called to serve them and not judge them. Unto Jesus. Your spouse, who at times can be cutting, negative, and not a servant to you. You are called to serve and lay your life down unto them, unto Jesus. What does that look like? Paul goes on and he talks about it later on in Ephesians chapter 5. But I want to tackle Ephesians chapter 5 by understanding the context of the conversation. In the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, as he's talking about this new humanity that we are called to live out. I want you to notice in verse 2 what it says. Chapter 5, verse 2, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Same conversation, right, that we just read in Philippians chapter 2. Same conversation we're having right now. How do we follow the example of Christ? He goes on to have this conversation about this new humanity, this life by the Spirit, that Jesus is the one that we live our life unto. And then he says this in verse 21, a little bit later on, under the same context, 
that we're supposed to look out for others' interests. Verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hupo tasso, to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, to put in subjection, to subject oneself to obey. That we as Christians are called to do that unto one another. And then he goes into the Christian household. Verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I spent some time diving into this passage. It's a difficult passage, and some of you have probably read that passage, and you go, ooh, I don't like that passage. Maybe because it's maybe been used as a weapon in regards to how you're relating in your marriage. But one of the things that I appreciate about the Bible Project is they do a really good job of creating images to help us understand what this actually looks like. And so if you look at the graphic that I made with Canva, it's going to look very similar to the Bible Project's video on Ephesians chapter 5. What does this look like? Christian household that Paul's talking about is this relationship between the wife and the husband. And the first is the wife. Are you, are you willing to respect your husband even when he doesn't love and lead you well? Or does pride set in would you allow him would you let him take responsibility for you and for your home even when he doesn't necessarily lead well would you give him that opportunity and husbands what would it look like for you to love and to lay down your life for your wife this conversation is really rooted in Ephesians chapter 5 and each of us deciding that we are going to lay our lives down and we are going to elevate each other. That's what Ephesians 5 is. A willingness to elevate one another into the things that God wants for us in the marriage relationship that we have. And here's what Paul says in regards to this, that when we're willing to do that, it's this profound thing. Let's take a look at this next slide. That it's actually a picture of Jesus and his church and the relationship that it has with one another. Your marriage is called to be a picture, an image to the rest of the world as to how Jesus operates in relationship to you and in relation to his church. Jesus lays down his life, loves the bride, and the bride, Jesus' church, lays down her life unto Jesus. And when that happens, oneness begins to take place. 
So when it comes to this idea of marriage, it's actually a greater image of the gospel. It's a greater picture of the good news that Jesus has for us about the life that he's inviting us into. You might be saying, this is difficult. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I know this because I'm married. And you're married. Well, some of you are anyways. And this is the struggle that we have oftentimes. That oftentimes pride begins to set in and we don't actually serve each other. Which is actually the antidote to pride. Habit number five, as we wrap up this sermon series. Would you be willing to serve each other? And would you be willing to not only serve each other, but serve others together? We talked about earlier that pride often feeds a prideful response. The competition of pride between two individuals begins to untighten the knot. But I just want to propose to you, instead of feeding a prideful response, would you be willing to take on the life of Jesus when your spouse is prideful and unkind instead of feeding the prideful response and the prideful circle would you be willing to break it would you be willing to humble yourself and serve serve them elevate them because here's what I know is that when you do that there's an amazing thing that starts to take place. I've seen it called conviction. When me and my wife aren't doing well, and we have our different tasks that are mapped out throughout the house of what we're supposed to be doing, and I recognize that maybe my wife is slacking or I'm slacking, and I can sit back and go, that's their job. That's their job. Am I actually being Jesus? I'm actually hurting my own body when I do that, correct? But when I recognize that my wife is slacking, maybe because she's had a bad week, maybe she's struggling, and when I choose to vacuum or unload the dishes or whatever it is, what do you think begins to take place? Love, grace, forgiveness. And so what would it look like for you to begin the process of just whatever it is? When I'm in a place where I'm like, man, I, I deserve this. I've worked hard. And then my wife, in the midst of my grumpiness and my pride, she begins to serve and lay her life down for me and she's respectful to me I begin to recognize man I need to choose humility wives what would it look like for you to break the cycle and serve husbands what would it look like for you to break the cycle and serve and lay your life down serve each other wives respect your husband and the role he plays in your marriage be a helpmate respect him even when he's not respectable Husbands, love your wife and the role she plays in your marriage. Lift her and elevate her. Might be saying, I nailed Mother's Day. What are you talking about, Pastor? <laughs> Not just on Mother's Day. Not just on Mother's Day. 
But every week, every month, asking yourself, how can I lay my life down for my wife to make her the priority? Here's what I know. Is it if you're going to serve each other, one of the ways you can get better at doing that is by actually serving together. Serving others together. Just like pride can feed off itself, serving each other and serving in your community, serving in your church, it can feed off of each other. Here's the reason why. It's because God is the creator and designer of marriage for the good of his creation, glory of his name. And when we serve together, we're reminded that we're actually to serve one another as well. So to lay your life down and to choose to say, you know what, we're going to actually serve our community. We're going to serve each other well. What does that actually look like? What would it look like to serve in the church together? This is practice for something greater into the future in regards to your marriage. It's practice. I coach a baseball team, and we have games every single weekend. And if I just showed up to the games and we didn't practice all weekend, expected them to do well, do you think that they would do well? No. The church is an opportunity for you to try on the new life that Jesus has for you so that you can actually live it out into your community, in the business world, with your neighbors, and within your marriage. So what would it like for you to serve together? I know that this works. Here's the reason why. It's because my youth pastor, my youth pastor at, uh, at a local church here, Shad Durfee, I asked him, I go, why did you go to Bible college? He goes, I went to Bible college because honestly, I watched my dad serve with everything he's got in the local church. Everything he's got. And it inspired me to love and follow Jesus with everything that I've got. Everything that I've got. Parents, moms, dads, if you want your kids to follow Jesus, Serve Jesus with everything that you've got because it matters. Through the difficulty, through the easy things, mountaintops, valleys, love and serve Jesus and do it as a couple together because when you do that, it makes a profound impact on your kids' life. One of the joys I got to experience last week was couple came up to me in the lobby and said even though we've got a little newborn baby we want to serve on the custodial team at least once a month here I go how are you going to do that you got a newborn we will make it work no greater serving than on the custodial team right we're talking about toilets y'all right <laughs> What does it look like to serve together? Not only in the church, what does it look like to serve your community? What does it look like to serve your community? It's part of the reason why I coach. Because we're called to bless our community. You might be saying, well, how does that work with the, with the gospel? First of all, you're modeling. <laughs> you're laying your life down to these kids, to your community. And it's amazing what happens when you just serve because opportunities come up. I've shared with my kids that I'm coaching 
the reality of Jesus and his love for us and what he's blessed us with and the giftings that he's given us and the idea of gratitude three times already this year. Why? Because God's provided opportunity. What is it like for you, for you and your spouse to serve together? Here's a, an easy one. Kind of easy. You gotta get the house clean. Just invite people over to your dinner table. Just invite them to your dinner table. Invite them just to come and have a meal. Have people over. We are so isolated. People are craving relationship. May your marriage, as you serve one another and love one another and elevate one another in unity together, when you do that and you have people over in your living room and in your dining room, it will change people's lives. My life was changed. Because all I did was have dinner with people that were still married. And I watched how they spoke. I watched how they served. In the midst of a time where my family was blowing up. You want to learn how to serve one another? Start serving together. Start laying your life down. Start taking on Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross for you and I. We can do this if we're committed to Jesus and we're committed to one another. We can do this. And so what does it look like for you this week to begin the process of surrendering unto Jesus and serving your spouse as you serve Jesus. We're gonna move into our time of communion this morning. I wanna invite you just to bow your heads, prepare your hearts, and if you came this morning and you weren't planning on taking communion or you didn't grab the elements when you came in, and you would like to take communion now, these amazing servants are gonna come forward and if you just wanna raise your hand, they will be sure to bring the elements to you right now. And I just wanna invite you to ask the question, what does it look like to serve each other and to serve together? Let's pray.